Pair of Jokers is brought to you by LA Mood Comics and Games, your source for comic books, graphic novels, board games, trading card games, role-playing games, collectible statues, action figures, vinyl records, and so much more. Visit lamoodcomics.ca. Welcome to Pair of Jokers. This is Dan Barrick, and I'm here with uh, David Perks. Hello, everybody. And we have two very special guests tonight. We have cartoonist Jay Stevens. Hello. And publisher Michelle Vrana. Hello, everybody. It's very exciting to have you both on the show at the same time tonight. Wow, you guys have a low barrier for excitement. <laughs> <laughs> the rumors that we're the same person are untrue. Oh my god. You, <laughs> when could, did, you could still the be the rumor that yourself. you just made up right now. Yes. <laughs> now now I'm disappointed that we're not recording video because someone might accuse us of, of actually doing this as a like a multi-track recording and splicing it all together at the end. Oh yeah, Jay and I sound so much the same too. <laughs> Anybody that listens to our podcast on a regular basis knows how much post-production we put into these shows. Yeah. You don't even really have an accent. No, <laughs> in real life, no. Just put it, put the, put the filter on, right? Yeah. So uh, we're here tonight to talk about um, Jet Cat and Friends, which um, I'm super excited about this project. It's it's been really exciting, Jay, seeing each of the uh, different works that you've been releasing over the last few years um, since the first time that we talked. I think we talked to you. Uh, when you were just working on on DJX and it uh, the title hadn't been announced or anything yet, you'd kind of teased it a little bit for us. That's right. That's right. It's a, it's been a while, and yeah, this has all come together kind of rapidly since then. Um, it's how does it feel to kind of have this mix of uh, your your sort of a, like a remastered version of some of your older work and new work coming out um, at well, not the same time, but within close proximity? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, it all feels good. I mean, it's important to revisit the work, I think. Um, but the new work is a lot easier. Um, so Dwellings, for me anyway, is um, moving forward is a lot more fun. It's it's more experimental. It's the thing I want to be working on. So revisiting these these older works is challenging in a couple of ways. I mean not just for the obvious, which is you're looking at, in the case of Jet Cat material that's 20 years old or older, um, it's sometimes painful to look at the way I drew back then or thinking of how I would write some of that stuff now. 
some of the jokes make me laugh again where I'm like, oh yeah, that was good. But mostly it's kind of like, um, I don't know. I don't know if um, musicians have this with kind of um, remastering tracks or putting out a greatest hits album, but it's painful. Um, and then on top of just the, the work where you're like, uh, I wish I could kind of redo it. It's okay. It's, it's as good as I could do back then. There's also, you're revisiting the time in your life when you made this work. So it can be a it can be um, an emotional process, in a different way than than making new work. I mean, all comics is painful. Don't get me wrong, but uh, <laughs> revisiting the old stuff is is I think it's fascinating. Um, I'm very happy to finally have um, to be putting together kind of a complete package of of these different projects that were scattered over a, a ten year period into the into the right presentation, the way it, it should have looked. Um, but it's it's not easy. I'm just going to jump. We had kind of a, an order of questions, but when I, I was wondering, um, you just mentioned uh, how it should have looked. Um, the original uh, uh, publications were in black and white, both with the Dark Horse uh, Land of Nod series right. with Jack Hat and, and with the uh, Oni um, Jack Hat Clubhouse. Um, That's right. And, and the previous Black Eye Tuttenstein book, too, because we did. Oh, right. Um, in fact, per, all three characters did originally appear under Michelle's guidance. I mean, there is an early version of Space Ape from Sin Comics. Tuttenstein mm, appeared right. in the Black Eye Land of Nod. And but then, not Jet Cat. Well, except, <laughs> codependent <clears throat> as I am, Michelle did enable me to be able to self-publish the first Oddville collection, which is Jet Cat's first appearance. So oh, yeah. he was involved in all three originally. But yes, yes, let's get back to the black and white versus the color. Yeah, because... I, I was interested because at the time I was um, um, really into bone. And so black and white was kind of, you know, the expectation for a lot of indie books. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it wasn't, uh, I, I still have kind of an affinity for it. Um, but seeing the color stuff, I kind of wondered if that was the ideal form that you imagined for it to kind of capture that animated look. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> um, the, uh, the black and white boom was fantastic, and I have some fondness for it, but uh, there was uh, never a time ever that I thought... Um, I would be able to hit that uh, on and off black and white contrast as well as say the Hernandez brothers or, or Charles Burns. Um, for me, it was always limiting. And um, you, I think you, I think you I think that you managed that with Atomic City. I did my best. Uh, it's true, but um, you know, going going to art school as a painter. I mean, I was working in color. I I, I like black and white comics very much but the comics that i liked the most as a kid were in color the cartoons i liked the most as a kid were in color um and i mean honestly the only reason the original comics are in black and white was because it was cost prohibitive i mean only only cartoon rock stars got to have full color books it just wasn't it was an option. it was impossible it, it was, was impossible absolutely impossible so yes this is part of revisiting jet cat is yes this is if, if i had had the option back then absolutely this is how it should have looked it's really interesting to me as as kind of um i think issue three of the land of nod uh 
with Jack Cat was the was the first issue I picked up, and so um, is that the Dave Cooper cover? Yeah. Yes, that's right. That's right. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. yeah. Right on. Yeah. Um, and uh, I I have to say that uh, as grudgingly uh, as I feel about this because I too really love black and white comics, it does look like I'm really happy to see the color. And oh, I didn't great. I didn't really think no. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was going to go the other way for a second. No, no. I was right. like, I, you know, and obviously nobody really uh, cares what my opinion is, but I I I really feel that a lot of, you know, other people who um would have read it when it was originally published, I think they're going to have the same reaction where where it's um I I was surprised to feel that because I just I really have that love of black and white and that's how I read it the first time but when I started seeing the previews I thought wow this really does feel very fitting well I'm you know Dan I... you say that that nobody cares about your opinion but um I think the reason we have a hardcover <laughs> is because of what you said during the last time that I was on the podcast I I'm glad that uh, I was really surprised that was possible I thought I'd just throw it out there and thought it was kind of a long shot and impractical and this is uh it's like a dream come true um i uh it is a long shot and impractical but we gave it we gave it a try and people actually ordered it that's amazing i know so i know great. we were it that that first day i really you know we had we had our little early bird going and i thought okay so i can't remember how many we had like 20 or 25 or something like that i figured okay the 25 are gone that's probably all that people are going to want. You know, nobody's, nobody's <laughs> going to want any more after that. And it seems that most people want either the highest end one on the Kickstarter or the entry level thing. Oh, interesting. The middle, the middle ground with the signed copy is doing okay, but it's not the, it's, it's not the most popular thing. Oh, wow. So has the hardcover been doing, it's been doing quite well then? It's been doing quite well. Yeah, I think we're up to uh, over 100 copies sold nice. or pre-ordered. Yeah, pre-ordered. I have to imagine that it's splitting along um, a nostalgic pre-readership mm. uh, and newcomers. And I mean, that's that's the other reason to do the book, too. I mean, this is this is a ultimate edition the way I, I wished it could have looked. Um, with all of the stories collected together. Um, and, but it also serves as an introduction. I mean, it's, it's been 20 years. There's, there's got to be a whole uh, readership that's never even heard of this, right? So um, I, don't, I don't think they're buying the hardcover. Maybe they are. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> right? Yeah, I, I think that's really interesting. I kind of, um, do you have any insight? I know it's probably hard to tell at, at this point with the Kickstarter campaign, um, Michelle had mentioned uh, when we talked to him last time about exactly that, that, you know, this was a work that's a really good entry point for either people who have read your work for a long time or people who are brand new to it. Um, right. And you have so many kind of sources that there may be people who had read the Dark Horse books or, or read, you know, the um, Land of Nod before that or Atomic City Tales or Red Oddville and the and the alternative weeklies or um, you know fans of the Secret Saturdays might be interested in it or even That's new right. new fans from from uh, dwellings. Um, have you got any sense of maybe what mix seems to be coming in with this campaign? 
Well, Michelle can can uh, comment more about uh, returning backers, but with with um, the new work with dwellings, um, there were definitely new readers who were discovering the work and my work for the first time, and they had either no idea that I'd previously done comics, or were coming from um, a childhood of watching the cartoons, which are, are certainly a lot more visible than, than my comics were. So they were either Tuttenstein or uh, Secret Saturdays fans who were like, what, you do comics? Um, so for Dwellings, I can say for sure that there's a good portion of new readership with that book. And, they're, and, now, and then they're going, wait, you did other stuff. So th this is the part two of putting together this reprint library. Um, but I don't know, Michelle, are you seeing this, a lot of the same names? I am seeing a lot of the same names. Um, uh, it, you can really tell the the diehard fans are the ones who who jump in like first day, <laughs> like my mom. Um, <laughs> I don't think they, I don't think your mom supported you this time, Jim. Yeah. <laughs> she's mad at me. She she got she got that first issue of, of Dwellings, and she's like, mm, no, <laughs> I don't know, not my cup shocked. of tea. This thing. She was shocked. <laughs> Lining the litter box. <laughs> um. No, so I do see some same as what what has been really interesting to see is a few of the people who were new from um, Dan Christensen's Paranormal oh, yeah. coming over now, which is part of the kind of grander experiment of being a publisher on Kickstarter. You know, yeah, it, having, a a, have, having people follow and say, wow, I was really impressed with how Paranormal turned out. So I'm definitely showing up for this next thing because I was, I really liked how it was put together. Um, so, you know, that type of thing is really interesting too. And it's, and it's, you know, Jay and I talked about that being exactly what we wanted to do with, yeah. uh, with crowdfunding and doing different creators and, you know, boosting each other on social media and just kind of creating this feedback loop of positivity. Um, and, it seems to be, it seems to be working. It's like a, you know, it's, it's a, it's a little snowball that is getting a little bit bigger each, each time. Yeah. And I think just yesterday we surpassed like, dwellings Two had been the most um, crowdfunded uh, as far as dollar amount project that we had and jet cat just surpassed that. Wow. That's nice. very impressive. Was the response uh, really positive? Um, with paranormal now that people have had a chance to read it and, and uh, check I, out people story. are. Yeah. I mean, there've been people are already clamoring for whatever, you know, Dan wants to do next, which I think it's reinvigorated his interest in the world that he created, mm -hmm. which I think, you know, those, those paranormal stories are about 10 years old when he first right. um, did them in French. So now he's doing a prequel, uh, uh, centering around one of the characters. And I don't want to say, because I think that he's keeping that close to his chest right now, so I don't want to spoil anything. Sounds good. I can't wait. So oh, awesome. I've seen some of the pages. I've seen, I, I don't know if he's had them on social media or if I, where I saw them, but um, it's, always, it's always interesting to see an artist who has progressed so much in 10 years go back and revisit mm. a world that they created before um, I mean, I see this stuff with, with Jay's work too, but it's, it's, it's a, it's a, I guess a starker contrast for me seeing Dan's stuff because I'm less familiar with his work and, uh, the few drawings I've seen from the new stuff is it's all, 
it's even more dynamic and graphic than it had been. So I'm cool. I'm curious to see what it, it's going to look like. Um, so overall, yeah, I'd say that this is um, it's 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 interesting to see some returning names. Um, as Jay mentioned, he has like some, you know, some of his dwellings fans are people who grew up on Secret Saturdays. Right. Yeah. And then and we've now I've been seeing some people who have been, you know, uh, I make a I make a point of um, thanking each backer individually via the, the messaging board. And some people are like, wow, I just found out about, you know, Jay doing stuff again. I'm so excited. You know, I just went on your site and ordered Dwellings 1 and 2. Um, and then those are the people who are making us have to go back to press again <laughs> on Dwellings number 1. Rats. Business would be great you know. if it wasn't for the customers, right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, um, I, and so, that, so that's working too then is that we're, you know, this project, um, you know, hashtag Nicktoons, hashtag Nickelodeon, hashtag 90s. I mean, there was a Jetcat cartoon uh, shorts for shorts on um, Nickelodeon's Kablam. There are people that remember that too. And so they're discovering this collection through that nostalgia, which is then leading them to dwellings and maybe DJX if they're twisted. Um, so it's, it's really interesting if, if we keep at it. I mean, I, I'm, I'm very interested to see the experiment out. I have a question about the, uh, the Kablam shorts. Um, mm. uh, I was going to make a personal observation, which is my brother and I actually, when we found out it was going to be on Kablam, we watched Kablam, we thought every week and somehow never managed to see an episode that ha that was the reason we tuned in. And so we would, I feel like we didn't uh, properly appreciate the other shorts because every time one ended, we were thinking, okay, that's going to be the Jack Cat one next, right? And we never actually saw them. And it was the early days of the internet. So I think we ended up, I don't know, <laughs> someone must have at some point, maybe a few years later, posted a super low resolution like clip from one of them. And that was the only uh, access we had to any of it. Wow. But yeah, uh, it's kind of, it's a semi-forgotten semi show. I, I think I think Nickelodeon might have released them on VHS or DVD mm. back in the day, but it's hard to find now. Um, yeah, I think we're in season three. I can't remember exactly, but okay. so it was it was deep into the series. But oh, yeah, uh, speaking of not appreciating, there was some great stuff in there actually. Some really experimental. I, I love animated shorts programs. Right. Um, most most networks have tried this at one point or another. They work really great as a tryout. I mean, we were told that's kind of what this was. Too, yeah. that if if there was popular um feedback that it might lead to something it didn't that's fine but um but like that action league now which was the action figures right yeah thing, yeah i remember was basically that. robot chicken about 20 years earlier right you yeah. know like uh <laughs> there was some really great progressive stuff on that yeah um did you find it it's been really interesting seeing some of the um like the process art that you shared some of the um, like the model sheets and, and things like that for the shorts. Did you find it all that um, preparing the character designs for the animation made you think about the characters in a new way? Did you take an opportunity to tweak them all at all? And um, did it end up maybe changing the way you approached those same characters when you, you know, brought them back in, in comics afterwards? Very much so, yeah. I mean, 
that was my first well not really because i did i did some um limited animation with um ytv uh for a show called squawk box previously but um jet was the first uh adaptation of something that I'd, I'd already done in print and so it was a steep learning curve the producer that i worked with on all three of my shows that got aired fred schaefer uh is a very patient uh friend and producer and he's a creative producer so he actually he's a good writer um he's got good notes and that was i mean they they wanted it to look like the comic so there wasn't a lot of pressure to really change anything but um you know up to that point if i didn't want to draw jet cat or melanie at a three-quarter profile i just didn't have to right you know like you just don't have to do that you can just avoid drawing the parts you don't want to draw um you know or like weird things like highlights on her boots right you know it's easy in a comic where you go well the light source is here but how does that work on screen if she's turning around right. it's like mickey mouse's ears how do you figure that out disney just went they're always straight i don't know if you've ever noticed yeah but in the yeah. early mickey <laughs> the ears just stay stable as he turns his head because otherwise it looked really weird right. um so it was a great exercise in design and it made me have to look at critically at my character design and absolutely it changed the way i drew her going forward um absolutely in two ways first of all it let me understand how she was constructed more mm. and then secondly it made me realize um when i got back to working on comics with her again that comics has an advantage over animation that there were things i could do in the comic that are you know stretching her foreshortening the way i would draw her on the page changed because i realized that i had that advantage that i didn't have in the cartoons right so jay you were saying um i haven't read dejects yet i apologize that's um, all right <laughs> <laughs> You were saying it's more twisted than dwellings? In a way, yes. <laughs> uh, in a different way. Well, I mean, I, I it's, it's more like it's more Tex Avery twisted. Right. Right. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's it could be called a horror. I don't think it's a horror collection. There's some horror in it. There's some horror in everything I do. I <laughs> but um, the uh, the Djex experiment that started this whole thing with with Michelle and I. Um, is basically a lot of outtakes. It's built mostly around two or three um, characters and, and stories that never were collected. So Captain Rightful, an armless um, snake-like superhero, um, Icky Animal, a gross-out character babysitter. There's a couple of really weird... <laughs> sorry, it's, uh, and so Michelle asked me if I had anything sitting around. So to to pull off an experiment see if we could just see if this worked and if it would be as fun as we thought it was and you um, had and you had some that you'd colored for fun i had been coloring them for fun <laughs> um again revisiting them and just going what am i going to do with this stuff it's just sitting around some of it no one's ever had ever seen some of it's unpublished or rejected um so as i was going through the material that i had it became clear, this is revisiting the earlier interview a little bit, but it, maybe not, I don't think we talked, but it became clear that um, it had, most of it had been rejected or not reprinted for a reason. As in, it's, it's, it's pretty weird 
Um, and like, you know, like Captain Rifle was originally part of the Land of Nod. It, it could have, it, it should have sort of intellectually been collected in in this volume because it was part of the original Black Eye Land of Nod. But it's, it's bloody. It's gro- it, there's boobies. It's, it's not <laughs> appropriate. Um, and I started to realize going through, again, this is a long period of, of uncollected work. So it's a 20 year stretch of unpublished stuff or forgotten stuff. And I realized it was really, talk about painfully going backwards, a, a, a real um, reminder of my ongoing struggle with mental health. So that's what I mean by being a bit twisted. It, right. it became clear that um, sometimes in my comics, maybe all the time in my comics, I'm processing stuff and some of it's darker and some of it's uh, a little sick and twisted. And so the DJX has a double meaning. And we did, we did take that opportunity to, to fundraise for some mental health research when we nice. um, uh, did that uh, crowd, crowdfunding. Yeah, that's right. We gave part of the, we literally gave part of the proceeds. Yeah. I think about $500 we ended up raising. I think so, which is amazing. Yeah. Awesome. For, yeah. for rejected material. Came to some good after all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and people like it. I mean, it, it continually, you know, we've, we've been back to print. We'll be back to print a third time for, yeah. I, to I'm fill not... the orders from, from those people who, I've gone in eyes open from the jet cat um, <laughs> crowdfunding that this is not for kids. Do yeah. not, do not put this under the tree. I'm certainly not trying to dismiss the material. I'm just saying, you know, full disclosure, it's, it's kind of batshit outtakes, you know, <laughs> well, it'll, it'll be really interesting to look back. It'll be really interesting looking back, you know, um, cause hopefully, maybe around this time in 2022 we'll be doing a, a land of nod collection in mm-hmm. color um and from the beginning uh that was always the plan and we've even you know have a a, a graphic design language that will tie all three together so mm. that if somebody has all three they will sit nicely next to each other and in a way i think they're going to feel like um uh curated anthologies of jay's work of different not even different styles, but different temperaments of work. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, the right stuff is going into the right volume, I think. <laughs> yeah, and they're all from, you know, a mix of times. Like each one has, you know, a range of times that the, that the work appeared in. I had a question um, about Icky Animal. <clears throat> First of all, <laughs> I hadn't I hadn't read that short since it it first was published, and so it was one of the pieces where um, you know there was a lot that I had uh, I had seen bits and pieces of. Like uh, I remember seeing a few of the jungle Shih Tzu strips and right. um, the the uh, exclaim strips, uh, but uh, Icky Animal I had read at the time, and I thought, oh yeah, it will be fun to revisit this, and it was uh, more. Uh, of a gross out than I remembered even. <laughs> I remembered um, it being pretty intense and the uh, the the eyeball incident and well, <laughs> and then the maybe, finale. I, I I remember again with with a lot of that material. I think almost all of it except maybe twerp. Um, the twerp stuff might have been in color already. Maybe nature show too. But um, you know a lot of that stuff also 
had originally appeared in black and white. Right. Um, I've been wanting to color that Captain Rightful comic for years. I think it turned out really great. But um, mm-hmm. Icky Animal was one where I'm like, maybe I should have left uh, this yes. in black and white. <laughs> like, oh, oh, no, it, it makes it. It, it does. <laughs> it makes it, it gross. Is. It's one of those yeah. things where I'm like, oh, it's so gross, but it is it is better for being grosser. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was using a, a sort of traditional four color um, color scheme, CMYK color scheme for that too. And I was like, okay, so what's the what's the standard comic book color for somebody inside out? You know? <laughs> like, kind of, what is that? Kind of a needs to be a little more purpley, I think. You know, like it was gross. Yeah. I, I think uh, you've sold it. That David is probably going to go and buy a copy of this right after right, we get <laughs> I think on. So, yeah. I think so. It's, it sounds up its alley. I was going to ask you though. That one was so strange to me because it came out around the same time that um, Audette was in Scatterbrain. That's I right. think, yep. like the same ballpark, but it was black and white. And it was, I hadn't seen an anthology like that before where it was just a one shot and it was split with uh, Sergio Aragones. Mm-hmm. Um, did you get to communicate with him at all about the content of the book or no. how did that kind of come to be? <laughs> no, I mean, I have met Sergio. Um, he's a wonderful human being um, and also really weird. Um <laughs> He's kind of a prankster. He he's told me a couple of stories that I'm pretty sure are not true. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, at the time I hadn't met him, and it was just a it was an interesting time at Dark Horse. Actually, it was a very promising time. They were trying a lot of stuff out um, and just trying to see what stuck. So they took a risk on me with the Land of Nod. I had actually wanted to call that book Jet Cat. Um, oh, I thought Michelle and I had already done the land of nod and that concept of a, a, of a full story each time. Um, but they wanted the title and I was like, yeah, well the next story was going to be jet cat. And I kind of doesn't really make, it's not really a land of nod story. Uh, but anyway, we did, we did that mini series. It was always meant to be, um, just four issues. And then, um, during that same time, they were trying all these other humor anthologies and stuff. So it was guff, I think is the one that Icky yeah, Animal funny. was in. And I believe there was a Pat McEwen strip in that and a Dave Cooper strip in that as well. Like oh, there was yeah, four. I mean, that's a, Sergio, Sergio had the biggest chunk. Yeah. Um, and then Scatterbrain too was super fun. And that and Scatterbrain was in color. So I got to do Ada in full color from, from the start. So that's one of the uh, comics reprinted in Jet Cat and Friends that is st- still in the original color. Right. This is maybe a strange question. Um, the fourth issue in the Dark Horse Land of Nod felt kind of like in a new direction to the story. Like there was the arc with the space ape mm-hmm. time travel. Was it always going to be a four issue or, or did it get extended? It felt, I don't know if so this is I, just my perception of it. No, no, you're completely right. So we weren't, uh, so when they asked me to pitch uh the comic i pitched a three issue jack hat arc and they said great and then we started in on it and they said we've decided to make it a four issue um series and i said okay um you know i and i i said well i i don't i think i've written this pretty tightly i don't want to stretch it thinner i said so i can 
start this new story arc. And then I was thinking, so I was hoping they'd be like, they'd see issue four and go, oh, let's do two more. Right. Uh, with with yeah. Tuttenstein and Space Ape. But no, it just ended up being the fourth. So the, the fourth is kind of almost like a standalone coda. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, and then I think, so I'm trying to figure, I'm trying to remember because I believe, oh, I know what it was. Yeah, that, that's what actually, so we did the three issues they uh there was that whole fourth issue thing what's going to be in it but that they also said we're doing a collection um and they wanted to include the original space ape um and tuttenstein story from the the black eye books and so i needed that material to to connect everything right because there hadn't really been enough of a crossover especially with tuttenstein um so it kind of ended up being you know, a standalone Space Ape story, a Jet Cat and Space Ape crossover story, and then like two Tuttenstein stories <laughs> is the rock of my book, um, which has been out of print forever. So it's the other thing, too, is even if we hadn't um, at remastered it in color, that work's been completely out of print for years. So it's really great to, to, to get it back out again. There's a lot of people that haven't seen it. Yeah, I, I think that's fantastic. It's a, I think it's... Um... I've enjoyed every direction that you've gone in, but that's the one that's always been kind of closest to my heart. And it's so exciting to know that it's going to be, you know, available in, in, um, in that way. And when it's, I, I don't know that I'd really thought about the fact that, oh yeah, if I didn't have the copy I have, there's not really an easy way to go out and get one or share it with somebody. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, for all those, uh, kids who grew up watching Tuttenstein who are now in their 20s, late 20s, um, who had always heard, I mean, every episode says based on the comic book by Jay Stevens, and they're like, what comic book? Like, right. you, can't, you can't get that anywhere. <laughs> they've, never, they've never seen this, ever. So I think that's it's nice to have it out there. That's awesome. I have a question. Oh, sorry, David, were you going to say something? Go ahead. Oh, I was. I have a question that I almost um, hope you won't answer, which is a little strange way to start a question. Um, the storyline in, in in the Dark Horse book involves. Um, well, I guess we should put a spoiler warning in here for anybody who hasn't read the book. Maybe <laughs> skip ahead a couple minutes here. Um, Melanie McKay, as Jet Cat, travels into another dimension and then mm-hmm. grows up, has a child, who then returns as the new Jet Cat. To you, is this kind of another way that is just like the magic of, of comics, that it's not going forward? It's It can just be kind of the same Jet Cat without having to think about whether it's the original jet cat or if it's her daughter of course that's <laughs> it's, yeah it's, it's absolutely i mean it's kind of the well let's not talk about the interspecies relationship too but uh they're just they're just aliens they're exactly it's just humanoid pretend. aliens it's, it's pretend <laughs> i mean it's like my only favorite version of superman really well i like the early sort of fleischer era stuff too but um 
I liked it when Superman would like get exposed to red kryptonite and his head would turn into an ant and then he would marry like a lion god and then <laughs> their children would be in a jar city in the next episode and then he'd travel to the 30th century and fight himself and like that stuff's great. Like it's unhinged, <laughs> it's completely unbound by continuity or I mean, screw the multiverse. None of that matters. It doesn't matter. None of it matters. Spider-Man can have seven arms. It could, you know, it. none of this. I mean, I, yeah. So I just, I just like comics when they go completely in unexpected directions. Yeah. I think that's way more fun. Anyway, to me it is. So I hope, I hope it's just crazy in a good way. That, that was always the experience that I kind of had reading the strips after that was... <laughs> This thing where occasionally I think, oh wait, this isn't Jack Cat. This is Jack Cat's daughter, and then I just be like, oh well, it's just the same character. It doesn't matter. <laughs> doesn't matter. Um, by the way, that or that... or it's Jet Cat's daughter. You know, is she her own daughter? Right. Is it an all you zombies thing? Yeah, it's a closed loop. Um, like no. what, was that, that, what was that thing? Predestination, the film that was based on all you zombies, the Ethan Hawke movie. That's right. It's pretty good, actually. The film's pretty good. It is pretty good. Um, yeah, it's uh, yeah. There's not a lot of um. There's the continuity. It, it's pretty hard actually. Um, choosing the page order mm. for um Jack Hat and Friends was quite challenging. Yeah. Because there are um, there's more than one transformation scene of her turning into Jack Hat. There's more than one origin for Tuttenstein. Like it's it, it's <laughs> oh, kind of right. it's that's right. Kinda, it's challenging. Um. So yeah, somebody on social media, I think somebody on Instagram, I think it was actually Dan who was like, oh, I love the way that the Jet Cat transforms. I was like that. And time, it was like her, the her backpack. backpack. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wait a minute. I just read a page where, where she rips her skin she, off. Right. Yeah. She rips off her, her, <laughs> yeah. her Melanie. Yeah. Yeah. It could be skin, whichever one you Jet like. Cat underneath. Yeah. So and so this is this is the challenge. So uh, just getting back briefly to, to trying to transfer her to the small screen, like having a cartoon. You know, Nickelodeon wanted like, how does this world work? You know, what's her origin? And I was like, there isn't one. <laughs> She's just Jet Cat. But they're like, what? So it, actually, in a way, when I, after that, or at the same time, I guess it was kind of happening at the same time, when I was writing the, the Dark Horse um, miniseries, I was thinking in my head, well, what is her origin? And I was like, well, what if she's the daughter of Jet Cat? Like, so I just avoided So. Jack Cat has superpowers because she's the daughter of Space Ape. Oh, sorry, the spoiler alert. But, uh, but how did her like? Anyway, it doesn't matter. Right. So basically, it's she has superpowers because ever. she's the daughter of Space Jack Ape and Jack Cat. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It, it just it really does feel so entrenched in the like the classic cartoon mentality. The more I think about it, because no one's looks at mickey shorts and is like well yeah. what's in continuity what's the continuity of all the like the disney or warner brothers or flesher brothers shorts um you know how do they all connect together into one larger narrative that's just that's the, a modern it, problem and i yeah. think it's i think it's narratively crippling yeah it's like if you really if you get in it gets really complicated if you watch pinocchio and you're like so geppetto has a pet cat and then Pinocchio leaves the house and a talking cat tricks him. <laughs> right. How, so is Cleo, like, 
a baby that's being kept. Like, what the heck is going on here? Yeah, nobody and nobody I, talks about Elmer Fudd's origin story. Exactly. No. Yeah. Right. no. Why does he want the rabbit? No. Like, nobody cares. Nobody. And cares. why are the, why is why is Goofy a dog and Pluto a dog? Yes. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Let's not get started. Right. Who's, who's Casper the ghost of? You know, like it. It just gets. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah, well, and then Orthos. Yeah. Dead Richie Rich, obviously. Dead <laughs> Richie Rich. <laughs> um, we've talked a lot about Jet Cat, and I was hoping we could talk about Todd Johnson for a few moments. Yeah, poor Todd. <laughs> poor Todd. He didn't even get his own sticker. I thought about it. But he no. didn't even get his own sticker. Like, <laughs> I know. Like, you are in control of it, and you're like, ah, that poor guy. Is there, is there I know. time guy for, didn't like, even a... get his own sticker. I, I started a sketch when I was like, nope, and as I was erasing him, <laughs> I swear he gave me a really dirty look. <laughs> Might have flipped me the bird. Can, can you talk a little bit about how you sort of, the last time we talked, you gave us kind of an insight into how you, you had known when you were a kid, someone who had some of the personality traits that influenced the Jack Cat character, the Melanie McKay character. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you kind of see Todd? He, he's this weird mix where he's kind of a jerk, but not really. Like he's a decent guy, it seems like. How do you kind of perceive his <laughs> strange personality? <laughs> that is a really great question. And I, I, I'm sure this will be the only time anyone ever in an interview asked me about Todd Johnson. Um, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah uh i guess so at the time at the time i wrote check i'm pretty sure i was single so i didn't ha- i didn't have kids yet so i was just remembering my own childhood yeah so i had a i had a best friend who was a neighbor whose name was laura mckay um i'm outing her now wherever <laughs> hi laura wherever you are um we walked to school together and stuff and she was really tough she was, and like, sometimes we would be like boyfriend, girlfriend, kind of, sort of, when you're like eight or nine. Um, and then sometimes she would beat me up and she could totally take me because um, she had like three older brothers who were terrifying. I should have given, anyway, well, there's still time. I could <laughs> put that in the, in a different origin of Jack Cat that she has three <laughs> older brothers. Um and so Todd is a, is kind of me. Like, I think I think his confusion and frustration over having a friend who's a girl who's like way cooler and tougher than him is kind of autobiographical, in 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 some respects. Um, I don't think I'm I'm that. I don't know if he's a jerk though. But I was going to say I don't think I'm that big a jerk. But I don't think Todd's really a jerk. I think he just. I think honestly, like in both the cartoons and the comic in, in the first Oddville strips, he just, he finds out suddenly that his, his eight year old friend is a superhero and she never told him. <laughs> I think that would set anyone off for years of, of uh, resentment. Trust issues right there. For sure. Right. But is I it? think, I, I think it's demonstrated repeatedly that he actually cares very much for his friend. Mel. Yeah. I, I think it, it comes across as well. He, he's weird, but in a way that as everyone is weird in the world of Jack cat. Um, but in a, in a human kind of weird, mm-hmm. like he, he feels very like an every man, but in 
Jack Cat world. Yeah, he's her Jimmy Olsen, except not. That's what I was going to say. Not capable of much. Although in in the uh, in the Welcome to Oddville strips, he does get to be a superhero briefly. Oh, he yeah. turns into hoodie. <laughs> so, streetwise, slingshotty, Hawkeye type. Anyway, it's for like three weeks, three strips. <laughs> yeah. Did the um, Welcome to Oddville strips, they were in papers originally, right? Yes. They were in um, a section of the Toronto Star called Brand New Planet. So for a glorious golden age few years there, a couple of years, um, the Toronto Star tried out this um, new insert that was quite, quite... Uh, Thick, actually, well produced. I thought it was terrific. I loved it. I loved working with those people. Um, that was primarily journalism uh, written by and investigated by kids. So kids were writing articles. So they were going to like sports events or um, you know investigating cultural stuff and and writing their own articles. And it also had comics. So Steve Manali had an ongoing strip called Super Slackers, and he brought turned me onto it and he said, you gotta, you gotta come in. They're looking for comic strips. And so Oddville got reborn. It had been an underground um, alternative weekly strip back in the nineties, but it got sort of reborn as um, welcome to Oddville. Full color uh, weekly, I think. Is it, I think it's weekly. It was weekly. Anyway, it was really great. And uh, of course, it didn't last. <laughs> but but what's fantastic is um, so they printed a, a full run of the sections, and if you were a subscriber, you got it as a bonus section with your I think Thursday paper or something. And with the extras, so they did a full run with the extras uh, that weren't part of the subscription bonus. They dropped those off at schools and libraries across the GTA for free, so kids. Everywhere in Toronto during a certain period, read those. That's awesome! Wow. Um, yeah. And so those are the ones that are all collected in the Ad House book, right? Correct. Yep. Which for and anybody... the and the original Oddville, or just the? Oh, the Welcome to Oddville by Ad House uh, is just the brand new Planet strips. Yeah, it's the complete collection of the um, full color Toronto Star strips. Um, right. Oddville, the original black and white strips were collected. Um, Self-published originally. When was that? Ninety-two yeah. or something. Um, and then um, Oni Press did a did a reprint too. So they're out there. Those those, I mean, that's one book of mine that's been printed twice. And you know, if you look hard enough, you should be able to find it. Um, I don't know. I don't know how easy it is to find. <laughs> I think I have a few copies around. <laughs> the um, Ad House. Uh collection for anybody listening if, if the kickstarter is still running uh, we will try to uh, post this tomorrow which is um, saturday so i think it's running until friday the 20... Second? second yes of yeah. october yeah uh in the morning i guess it ends so you should get that's in, right get in early um but the ad house book is available as an add-on as well um <clears throat> to the to the main book Yep, we were lucky to get our hands on a, a few boxes of those. Yep, three cheers to Ad House. It was good to know you. They oh, yes, are, yeah, have yeah, folded yeah. shop. Yeah, yeah. Well, there, I think they have a few more books coming out this year. 
Oh, do they? Oh, fantastic. That's great. At least I think so. I think I was on their site and saw that there was, you know, a book coming out October 21st. Maybe that's their last book. I don't oh, know. Maybe. Chris Spencer <clears throat> is a hero. Yeah, good stuff. That was a great run. And I hope he I hope he reconsiders and comes back like this in this kind of virtual print on demand Kickstarter model because I think Chris could do great work. So we mentioned how Todd didn't get a sticker. Um, <laughs> which which brings me to the uh, some of the bonus but but, but teen idol did <laughs> that's is that Poor sad Todd. that's very sad <laughs> um so there's a pin as well uh mm -hmm. that's part of the campaign and um the uh uh there's an extra eight pages that have been unlocked for the book of some sketches as well and yep. um the cereal box, postcards, and PDFs where you can print and assemble the mini cereal boxes. Can you uh, tell us about how that concept came to be? Michelle had teased there was going to be something awesome <laughs> when we talked to him last. Um, yeah, well, I think it was uh, Jay and I uh, when we're when we're packing up when we were packing up dwellings both times. Um, actually. I I think every time that we've done a packing up session for a Kickstarter, we've talked about, well, what's happening next and what are we going to do? And, uh, and they've turned to the kind of brainstorming sessions because it's, you know, two days of, of putting stuff into boxes and envelopes. And so we're trying to think of things that we could do differently. Um, we didn't want, we kind of have our model that we, we work with, with dwellings of, um, of having the risograph and a, a poster of some kind and the postcards. Um, and we knew that we wanted to do something a little bit different this time. And I think it was over lunch. Uh, I said, Oh, I, I had something, I, I came up with something. Um, I've got to just write, write down a few notes and I'll, I'll let you know in a few minutes. Um, and I thought we could do like a Saturday morning cartoon club for jet cat. And what would be a fun Saturday morning cartoon thing would be something to do with breakfast cereal. And originally the idea was, oh, well, maybe we'll do like, um, like risograph prints or uh, some kind of mini art print or something. And then I was cruising along on uh, just kind of researching cereal boxes and things. And I found, you know, people post had posted like templates of the old fun pack cereal, you know, to, to print out and assemble, like if you're, you know, they had them available of various sizes. Like if you had a dollhouse and you wanted to have your little, your cereals, or you wanted to just have like a replica one for your shelf. And I thought that would be a fun thing to do because one of the things that we're trying to do with JetCat is, you know, make sure that it's a campaign that is appealing to hardcore fans, but also something that if, if you're a fan and you want to have it, share this with your kids, that you can do stuff with your kids. So we thought that these little, uh, cereal boxes would be really fun to do. And they're still there again for collectors they can get it as a, as an oversized postcard in a, in a certain pledge level, but everybody will get a PDF. And it, the great thing about a PDF is if you louse it up, you can print out another one and <laughs> try again. That's reassuring for me, for sure. And so the fun, and the other thing is nobody has seen the backs yet. So once right once the campaign is done and everybody starts getting their PDFs, they're going to see like the whole cereal box. 
Uh, How large are they? Um, they're about they're they're a little bit bigger than a current fun size Kellogg's cereal pack. Those like six packs, yeah. 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 So there's there's an, a sixth box that's being revealed tomorrow that um I can't my believe fa- we my got favorite this. collaboration ever. Best artist I ever I worked with. I can't believe we got this this artist to collaborate I know. with Jay. Insane. That's awesome. They work together really well. <laughs> I, I'm excited no, it's, to it's, find it's a really list. it's a really all of the all of the boxes look amazing and we had, you know, uh you know, they, they get somebody like Hoche Anderson doing a cereal box design. <laughs> it's awesome. And he really did a great, great interpretation of Tuttenstein. He made him kind of like grittier and a little bit scarier. Yeah. He's kind of like, he's kind of like in between the comic book and the cartoon Tuttenstein. Exactly. It's a completely uh, new interpretation. And what do you see what he did for the back? It's so cool. <laughs> the back is, I think the back is even better. I think it is. It's awesome. It looks great. It looks great. And we got Michael Cho who did one. Chris um, Omni. Yeah. Chris Omni. Yeah. Uh, who else? Uh, Claudia Davila, who taught yes. me how to use Photoshop <laughs> back in the day. Children's book author. Um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, and Raphael Rosado, um, who was the animator who was my collaborator on the Jet Cat short. Oh, so awesome. he's the only other official Jet Cat artist. Yeah. And his, you know what? I found that his, um, his jet cat and Chris Sammy's jet cat look similar. Like they had a similar approach to drawing the characters. Yeah, it's, it's wild. Yeah. Like as if it actually had dimension, unlike mine, yeah. which is like, <laughs> yeah. Um, what does it feel like seeing other artists interpret your characters? And then I was going to ask you as well. Um, you did the Dr. Bubonic uh, card for um, paranormal. How, mm. how is that kind of experience of, interpreting someone else's characters and putting your own spin on it and then seeing someone else do a similar thing with your characters. Oh, I love it. Yeah, it's great. I have, I, I, I like seeing, um, I mean, you can't get more off model, uh, from one of my designs than the Tuttenstein that ended up in the animated cartoon. Right. Uh, that's a pretty radical departure from, from my interpretation. If you can if you can push my stuff that far, then anything in between is fine by me. Yeah, go ahead. Be you know, be crazy. It's it's great. I've seen um it's really fun too to see on I guess it used to be like a deviant art thing, but now you're you're seeing this kind of fan art pop up everywhere. So I see a lot of it on, on Instagram, which is fantastic, with um all kinds of versions of Jet Cat and Tuttenstein or the Secret Saturdays. Um completely radical reinterpretations many of which i think are maybe better versions than mine by by far so i'm just like wow that's probably how that character should be drawn um (laughs) i love it i think it's great and then yeah for me playing around with other people's characters yeah i'm just trying to have fun with it i uh i loved uh the opportunity to to draw characters from paranormal i didn't know where to start actually there was so much great uh character design that, that Dan had come up with. And I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? Um, but I just love, I, I wanted to draw a character that was uh, not as um, front and center, somebody who's kind of a legend within the story. Um, and I just love that weird, the way, yeah. that ma- the way that mask falls, the way that Dan draws it with 
with the, I just love the design um, and the cravat and it's just great. So I was like, I just want to draw that face. So it's all based around drawing Dr. Bubonic's mask. But I was like, again, I could have done that more. Um, I mean, I do have a, a few styles of drawing and I like aping, um, you know, retro styles of cartooning. So I was like, what if I did this like 80s Marvel, which is a little more modern than I usually go. So I was trying to go for like a early days of Art Adams kind of look. I was like, yeah, it, or like it should, it should be a little busier than I normally do. That's a, yeah. What were you going to say, Michelle? It kind of reminded me, it, for some reason, it made me think of like, uh, like Bob Layton, Iron Man type. Absolutely. Exactly. That um, period. Yeah. Uh, and, but then I, but then I wanted to keep the color scheme tight within sort of the, the look of the, the restrictive colors in the book and to match the other postcards. Um, so I think I split the difference. I think it looks kind of like a re reductive cover for Marvel in the day, but anyway, it was really, really fun. I love doing stuff like that. Oh, you did such a great job. I mean, you really like if, you know, if somebody was just had no idea about cartoon characters or comic book villains, um, you could look at that and be like, oh yeah. So, you know, Darth Vader, Dr. Doom, Dr. Bubonic, they all look like the same type of terrifying. Absolutely. Yeah, it's great design. He's a great character designer. Those characters are riv I, I want to know the backstory of everybody. <laughs> <laughs> There's a little bit in the sketchbook section at the back of Paranormal, which was interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and interesting he posts, to see. He posts some interesting sort of background stuff online too, but maybe Dr. Bubonic is his own father. Maybe he traveled into another dimension and <laughs> gave birth to himself. Um, looking at the all the different interconnected um i don't we're avoiding the term multiverse but all the things that jetpack <laughs> has appeared in um you know and that nod has appeared in and space ape has appeared in <clears throat> if you connect all that together the number of different characters is really quite vast at this point um i wanted to ask you if you return to some of these characters after a long time do you have any strategies that you use to kind of get back into the mindset of writing those characters or um, kind of staging sequences with them and choosing, I don't know, um, even drawing them in sequences and, and kind of having the personality come through or for some of those repeated characters, is it just been something you've done so many times that it comes back once you sit down to do it? That's a really good question. I, I find it's kind of a mix. Um, so no matter how hard you try, um, your sense of humor, your sense of timing and your drawing skills change. So you can, you'd never be able to go back and do it exactly the same. You just can't recapture that. It's like, um, I don't know for comic fans out there. It's like when Jack Kirby returned to Marvel and, you know, did his black Panther run. It's like, it's cool, but it's, it's not like fantastic four. It's different. It's just things change. Um, so you can't really do that again. But on the other hand, for me with characters that I spent a lot of time with, it's like muscle memory. It, it, it's, it's actually kind of like hanging out with a high school friend, somebody you've known a long time. 
is if you haven't seen them in a long time, um, you might not have seen each other for, for 20 years, but you get together and you still have that uh, bond. And it's more often than not about 20 years ago. So when I draw Jet Cat, we still have that connection. It still feels easy. I still know what she looks like. I know what she would say. Um, and it's nostalgic. And that'll, that'll always be there 20 years from now when I draw her. Is there I any think, possibility of, of new Jet Cat material in the near future? I actually, Michelle, <laughs> tell, I said to him, I said, hey, on top of everything else we're doing, what if I did like a new weekly strip during the camp? And he goes, I think that sounds like too much. Like that's, <laughs> yeah, and that's, and that's the difference. That's the difference being a publisher now in my fifties than being one in my twenties. We're not, would have been like, yeah, yeah he, was, he was like, sure. Color the thing first. <laughs> then do the strip. Uh, no, no, but so, so what was, I, that's, that's interesting too, because yeah, for the first time in a long time, I mean, for a lot of that stuff, like I said, at the, at the top of the show, revisiting your old work can be quite emotional in a number of ways. And it can, it, you're like, oh yeah, that's when I was married and had little kids at home. And that, that was when, you know, and it's, it's, um, I don't know if you would, you know, like I'm sure Sting has no interest in getting back with the police, like I, at all. And I'm sure he gets asked about it all the time. And, you know, like it, so it's complicated. And so I haven't thought about it a lot because, you know, there are other creative adventures to have. Not that I wouldn't do it, but putting this book together is the first time in decades that as I was coloring the material and being intimate with it again, so you got to stare at it, you know, on the screen and reread it. Um, I did have some new ideas, actually. So we'll see. I don't know if I don't know what that would look like, but I did have some new ideas for those characters. I had a question for Jay, too. Mm. Um, when you're talking about revisiting characters, I think the most previous to this, you know, working on kind of the uh, ancillary materials like the, the stickers and, and things. Um, the last time you revisited a character was for, for DJX when you did some new nod strip work. Yeah, right. That was weird. And that was, I, that was like totally new. Like it was, you, it's exactly as you explained it. You just kind of like, you know, you just did a totally different style for Nod for mm -hmm. those, was it two pages? Yep. Four pages? I think it's just two. I think it's just yeah. a two-pager. Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, yeah. And it was, again, just kind of summoning him through doing the work. And it was like, I wonder what that would look like if I came up with a strip now. And it's based on a sketch I'd done. Uh, a pitch I was going to do for, I mean, it fit into the thing. I had these rough pencils, very rough, just kind of like doodles for a strip that I was going to pitch to a magazine that then before I even got the pitch ready, they were like, never mind. So it was, it was rejected. It was an, it was an idea that was pre-rejected that I was like, Oh, I, I could make that the nod comic. You know, that kind of makes right, it sense. Was, it was like the life and death of nod. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> In two it's pages. It's near the end of the book, right? Set set to set to uh, Papa Umama by the Rivingstone. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's you know, my usual silly self. <laughs> yes. Um, 
we'd like to talk a little bit about dwellings, um, but I have one super random jet cat related question for you and i this you're actually... like a jet cat super fan man <laughs> a little awesome bit. did I... you buy all the hardcovers <laughs> i i uh i needed to make it happen so uh you know took that alone and well, that explains how to deal with that later there was b there was bs derek <laughs> rick bargies <laughs> um this question actually, it occurred to me, uh, I guess it was a couple of years ago we talked to you, Jay, and it was, I, it randomly occurred to me after we talked, like a few days after, and I was kicking myself <laughs> because I, and this may not have any connection at all, but for some reason I was looking at an old, um, I don't know if it was like the... I have some of the, like, the Silver Age Doom Patrol, um, like, the big phone book style collections, mm -hmm. which are all in black and white. Love the that stuff. Premiani stuff. Mm -hmm. And and I had read a little before that all the, the Morrison and Case stuff as well. Um, but I hadn't seen the Silver Age stuff in color. And it suddenly occurred to me that Robot Man is that, metallic orange color that is the same color as giant radio controlled robot and i was wondering if that was an intentional choice yeah it's an homage um sort of except giant radio controlled robot doesn't have a human brain and is a total jerk although cliff <laughs> cliff is kind of a total jerk in the arnold drake premiani doom patrol too um yeah it's uh so okay so <laughs> yes uh, I like robots generally, so there's a more general just giant robot love happening. But giant radio-controlled robot is basically um, inspired by two of my favorite robots from childhood. So I had um, I collected comics at my grandmother's house when I was a kid, and one of my treasures was this coverless comic, and it was. Um, I think it was My Greatest Adventure number 80. It might, I, I, it's, I can't remember the exact issue number. It might have already changed its name to Doom Patrol. Um, but it's a general Immortus issue. And Negative Man's in the lead uh, coffin. And they put the bandages on the outside of the coffin, just so you know it's Negative Man's coffin. Uh, <laughs> um, Rita Farr shrunk and in a bug jar. And Robot Man's in chains. Anyway, it was it, so it was my favorite comic as a kid, and then I also, because <coughs> my family's British, um, I had a Lion Boys annual. Oh, hang on, I can get it. No, well, nobody can see it anyway. It's over on my shelf over here. The actual, the actual one, um, nineteen seventy-five Lion Boys annual. I think 75, 76. Um, and there's a character in Lion back then called Robot Archie. Which is me, mm. and he is actually radio controlled. So Ro Robot Archie actually has two dudes who are buddies, chums, who have a pet robot that they control. Um, although it doesn't make a lot of sense because Archie seems to make a lot of independent decisions. Um, <laughs> so those two robots uh, were my very favorite robots when I was a kid. Other than like Tweaky and C three PO and R two D two. Twickies from Buck Rogers for right. your younger your younger listeners. Oh right. Um, voice voiced by Mel Blanc. By Mel Blanc. 
exactly. <laughs> uh, and so, yes, there's a lot of robot men and generator controlled robot who also wore a radio on his right. chest yeah. to talk to the chief. Um, so, yeah, that's that's a good oh. that's a good catch. Doom Patrol is my favorite of, DC team. Speaking of robots, Jay, you should maybe tell the story of what you would tell your younger brother when you were a kid. Oh, yeah. So about what were really robots? So <clears throat> my horror storytelling skills started very young. Um, so my brother was bugging me in a, on a drive home, maybe from my grandparents or aunt and uncles or something. We're driving back home and he's bugging me or something. And I told him, you better shut up or else. And he said, or else what? And I said, well, I'll get my robots to, to, to destroy you. And he said, what robots? And I pointed out at like those hydro towers that kind of have like <laughs> humanoid shapes yeah. in the distance. He was like three. And he's like, those aren't robots. But he wasn't sure. You could tell, <laughs> I, I, I could tell I had them. And he's like, those aren't robots. I said, yes, they are. Look at them. Those are, they're just waiting. They're just waiting for commands. And he said, even if those are robots, they're not your robots. And I said, yes, they are. And I said, and I can prove it. They're plugged in to my bedroom. Watch the wires. And he watched the wires all the way home. So we watched the hydro tires. They said, oh, see. And I said, see, now look, they're connected to those poles. And then all the way home, he's getting more and more terrified. I'm like, see the pole, see the wires are still connected. See, they're coming all the way home. And then as we pull up, he sees the wires going straight to the house. He was terrified that I had an army of robots at, at seven or five years old. And to this day, he has a phobia of hydro. Hydro <laughs> Not the robots. Yep, true story. On on the horror note, um, dwellings. Uh, we were talking with Michelle about it a little bit uh, on, on the last episode where, where he was on, um, and one of the things that we were kind of talking about was uh, the complexity of the stories. Really surprised me, um, and just in terms of how much you had layered into the dialogue that there are just these little allusions to the larger world and it it feels very um like there are a lot of small details that you included that add a lot of richness to it and a lot of kind of subtext um can you just talk about what it's been like exploring this new terrain with the two issues that you've done so far yeah thanks um i Thank you. Yeah, it's a it's a departure for me writing wise for sure. Um, I I mean I hope everybody always thinks this, but I like to think it's the best thing I've done. Um, and yeah, the 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 mixture here is is interesting. And I did sort of I think I accidentally pitched this to Michelle when we were staying in Montreal uh, promoting. You didn't accident. I don't know well, how accident was. Well, it, what I mean it's not is like, it like fell out. <laughs> well, what I mean is that I don't think I had, I think I'd only just like maybe two minutes before I told you, I think I said, you know, what might be an interesting idea. Um, and then you said, that is an interesting idea. Uh, and then it's like, All right, now we're doing it. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, so I had over the years 
in I my... think you'd been thinking about it a little bit. I think I'd been, been thinking, thinking about, about it, it a little bit, and but it was specifically the promotional tour, book tour for DJX. Um, yeah. And specifically the appearance at uh, Library John and Quarterly that, that, uh, that really solidified this thought for me is having questions from um, the audience about the, the uh, push and pull kind of uh, uh, dynamic between what looks like kid-friendly material when I do stuff like Icky Animal, um, but then with like uh, more mature complex meetings or subtext uh, subversive elements. And somebody had suggested that that's, that's like my oeuvre, like that's what I do. And I was like, is it? Oh, uh, like not, not, not really on purpose, but um, that, that might very well be something that, that um, is intrinsic to the work I do. So then I th was thinking actively about that. But basically in the years that I wasn't doing comics and I was doing other things, um, one of the other things I was doing was hanging out with some um, horror filmmakers. So I've, I've been in the art department on a couple of low budget horror movies. Um, I know some producers and some um, production designers and stuff. And it's fine. I love, I love horror. And at some point years ago, there was, they were looking for scripts and I thought, Oh, I, I have some ideas like over the years. So um, they know the first issue was actually um, plotted out as a film. And so I had like story beats for it. It was a little bit different, but um, I had it plotted out as a, as a structure for a film. And it's pretty hard to film. So it's hard to get crows to do what you want. <laughs> um, so I had pitched it. And, and also where we live in Ontario isn't that far from one of the largest indigenous crow populations. And I think it's... Um, it's not St. Catharines, is it? Uh, um, anyway, there's there's somewhere in southern Ontario that has like, at certain times of year, thousands upon thousands of crows, and so I was like, well, why don't we just go there and, you know, see if we can pretend they're doing what we want them to. Anyway, it didn't work as a film, but it didn't stop me from writing notes on some other stories and horror stories, and it had, so I had this thing, but it was in my head completely separate from comics. It just had never, and part of the reason for that is that um, I hadn't made that leap. So I was thinking if I was going to draw a horror comic, it had to look like a horror comic. And horror comics look like horror comics. And I don't really draw like that. So, or I could, but it would be, it would take longer. I'd have to like train myself to, it would be a total departure. And it wasn't until we started, I started actively thinking about this um, DJX thing that, you know, it can still look cute and still have meaning and be disturbing. Um, and the other component was that leading up to uh, Michelle and I um, experimenting with this publishing venture, I'd been just for fun doing these like uh, fan art tributes, these like Harvey comics covers of, and I think we did speak about this last time. Um, these like, uh, little horror flicks so it's like kids from horror movies uh drawn as like imaginary harvey comics covers and uh instagram went crazy for them they loved them it was like people thought this was great and so it wasn't until um 
the DJX tour that I realized that that was that was exactly the right thing. That if you if I combine those horror stories with this disarming, um, uncomfortable um, visual that you know looked like a dirty secret, this this you know uh, full immersion in this world, that it could work. I, I didn't know if it would work. <laughs> But to get back to your initial question is that's why the writing is the way it is, is that for all of these comics, I'm, I'm still, because it worked the first time, writing them as pitches for a film. Interesting. And I, I break it down as if it's a, a two-hour film. And then I take it and break it into the 36-page comic. And I go, well, okay, so it's, it's, now it's not a film. Now it has to fit. Um, and so it's a lot of cinematic show don't tell, you know, how do you get that much information in two pages? And the second issue is I, I found way more, uh, dense and packed with information than the first one. Yeah, there's some, I, I mean, it's, it, it, they're different styles. It's not like saying, oh, well, the second no, one no. is better, but it's just, it, it's approach was a lot more. I, th I think yeah, so. Packed. There was, it was tougher. Um, I mean, that one had a lot more um, explaining to do in the story structure and, um, you know, avoiding the idea of a narrator, the idea of having um, Don, the main character, texting her professor mm -hmm. as a, as a way of, and the, and the, and the texts becoming the narration bubbles that, that connect different scenes was the workaround. Um, yeah, so it's, 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 um, yeah, I can't wait to get back. The third issue's great. I already, I already <laughs> know, just need to draw it. One of the uh, neat conceits that you had in issue two that really struck me was the, um, the page that looks like an, an ad. <clears throat> and I was so fooled by it that I was, I was trying to, get to the end of the story when I was reading it. And I thought, Oh, I'll come back and read the ad copy after, after I read the story. And then I, I don't know, I caught kind of a glance and thought, wait a second, this looks like an ad, but it's actually part of the story. And I thought yeah. that was a, a really cool um, visual trick that you had played on that particular page. And that was, that was before WandaVision. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. <laughs> I think my I think my commercials actually mean more to the story than the ones in WandaVision even. But yeah, um again that's uh once I embrace the idea that the the visual look, the tone, the uh backwards glance, the retro childhood nostalgia uh was was gonna be baked in, it had to have ads, and then if it had ads would they just be fun ads? Cause I've done that before or, and that that's when I said, no, no, they have to, all of the ads have to add to the, the sum total of the, of the experience. I can't wait to see your hostess ad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's, yeah. I, I hope I can sustain it indefinitely because um, it's so fun. <laughs> Now, Jay, I, I had seen at one point, I, I know there's not kind of a, a hard and fast um, kind of uh, plan for how long dwellings will run. I think you had 
mentioned at one point on Instagram that there were at least four story ideas. Um, are, are you still kind of exploring how long you might want to do this project? Yeah, I mean, it's it's not for lack of interest. I, um, throughout my so-called career in comics, um, I think I've seen several publishers go out of business while I was working for them. Um, or or have an audience completely lose interest, I guess. Um, that, that sort of diminishing diminishing returns for um, issue five or six of a comic. So I just, not to sound crass, I'm just not going to assume that I can do this as long as I want to. But as long as you'll have me, I'll keep doing it. Because I've got, uh, at this point, I've got um, six stories that I think are, are more than good enough um and about 10 more roughs rough outlines beyond that so if 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 people want uh continue to want more there's more so we'll just see what happens so i think i think we're gonna try we're gonna definitely do four we're gonna try for six but if you know it comes time for the kickstarter for number five and nobody cares then that's okay it was it was still fun we'll see what happens David, did you have any other uh, thoughts or questions? Uh, no, I was just following along with you. It's uh, that was great. Um, Michelle, are there any other? Uh, just not to jump the gun here, because I think the emphasis at, at this point is uh, if anybody's listening, um, if it's before eight a.m. on the twenty second, go check out the Kickstarter, and the address is. Uh, can you give that to us again? It's uh, go. Oh, dot... it's go.blackeye.ca slash Kickstarter. Perfect. Is always where the current Kickstarter that we're running is Excellent. going. Um, so you just have to remember it the one time. Any Anything you can tease about what the next Black Eye book might be? Well, you know, one thing that we've been, one thing that we've been encountering with uh, things lately has been uh, production delays mm-hmm. slightly. Um, because there's, uh, on top of just regular uh, supply chain problems in the world because of COVID, there's an increase in publishing. The publishing world has gone crazy. Books, people are just buying tons and tons of books. Yay! Um, <laughs> which is great, which is great, but it, it does mean that things are taking a little bit longer. Ooh. Um, <laughs> yes. So I'm kind of thinking about how to approach things in 2022. Um, It may mean that um, I've seen some other small presses do this where they kind of launch a season of books, like two or three books in one Kickstarter and get the funding for that. Because uh, one thing that I learned of while we're doing uh, the last issue of Dwellings and getting prepped to do Paranormal was course kickstarter doesn't want you to start a new kickstarter until you fulfilled your previous one because they don't want people not to get their you know their things and this could be and this could be something that you know unscrupulous people could exploit if you could raise a bunch of money for your you know fancy new i don't know iphone case and then swindle people and run another one and you know so on and so forth um so i guess to to kind of make that a little bit shorter um there is new stuff coming 
Uh, I can't say exactly what it's going to be yet, but there will be some new things in early 2022. And I think that'll be before dwellings number three, because that's going to give Jay time to draw dwellings number three. Mm -hmm. Which I'm going to do as fast as I can. Excellent. As fast as you can, with you know, but remember, you got to keep your hand in good shape. I know it's true. <laughs> I burnt out my hand last time right. to take two weeks, two weeks off of drying. Wow. And it happened, well, and it happened while I was signing copies of the, and I was like, ow. And then I had to sign like this. No, <laughs> it was all fine. It's all fine. It's, it's a tennis elbow. Yeah. And so, but you, but the coloring you use, you use different muscles and things. Different so. muscles. Yeah. Yeah. So yes, there's some, there's some interesting new things coming. Um, uh, a variety of, I, I, I can think of three projects that are very different from anything I've published before and very different from one another. Um, two of them are Canadian. I have potentially one French cartoonist that if things work out with their publisher and we can get permission to do a short run uh, English version, um, I think that this this particular cartoonist is is interested in the idea, kind of like how Jay sees the the Kickstarters as being like it's a it's a limited thing. It's like a limited edition. You know, you want to get in on the Kickstarter and get your thing. We're not going to be printing a ton more. Right. I think that Dwellings is a little bit of an exception to that because it's still a, a series. Um, when we get to the point of of collecting it, it probably will be another kind of one and done type thing. That's so, cool. yep. Keep keep your eyes on the Instagram at Black Eye Books, and uh, you know, follow follow Jay on Instagram at Jay Popgun, and you're gonna see all kinds of stuff coming out in the next uh, in the next few months. Excellent. Um, we are just a few weeks away from Halloween. Before uh, we end, could you give us some recommendations of films, comics? books that people might want to check out recommendations for horror uh leading into halloween oh god um yeah but I, well, I you did a, a big post about that i have a i have a million recommendations um <laughs> but yeah if you if you hop onto my instagram um j pop gun uh scroll back a bit i have a tuttenstein um mummies page to film list which is um literary mummies that have been turned into films it's awesome. it's uh they're they're pretty good and then further back i have a list of i think 22 films uh i did a, a september i watch horror movies all year round but um i did a september watch a pre-watch because somebody friends of mine ask me every year what should i watch so i watched 20 odd 20 something um spooky films and television series leading up to Halloween so that I could make a recommendation list uh, for people in October. So that's still, that's still up there. Um, high on the list of, uh, so these were things that I had either never seen or hadn't seen in a while. Things I hadn't seen yet that I really liked. Um, I think my favorite film, newer film is called His House. It's a really great um, uh, ghost story. It's, it's fantastic. Um, and uh, my favorite new horror TV series is is called Brand New Cherry Flavor. Um, I think it's better than than the other ones everyone says are good. Um, 
uh, for books, if you want a good Halloween read, uh, my a, a go-to favorite for me is The October Country by Ray Bradbury. Some great spooky tales in that. Um, really fun this time of year. And then you have to watch It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. Yes. Or else, or else the great pumpkin will come and get you. And, 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 we'll get you. and I can make him do it because he's connected by wires to my house. Right. <laughs> I, I'm excited about the Bradbury recommendation. I read um, something wick, wicked this way comes around this time. Of I year. love that last, book and that and that year. Disney film actually. Yeah, it's that fun. movie is great. Oh, Jason yeah. Robards. Yeah, love it. That's great. <clears throat> um, I was hoping to wrap things up, but I realized I missed one question, which is just that. I did want to touch on this, the Southwestern Ontario Gothic element of dwellings. And um, when, when you kind of initially announced dwellings and it talked about that aspect, that there was kind of this regional quality to the, the backgrounds and, um, you know, it could happen in another place and you don't need to know anything about Southwestern Ontario to appreciate the story, but I do think it right. kind of enriches it and it, it kind of uh, reminded me of the um, the experience of going to see um, the new adaptation of It, um, which a lot of it was shot somewhere in this region. I'm not sure exactly where. I, I think you posted that the Cupboard Bridge is quite near where you're at. It is. Um, yeah, I know. I know where the Kissing Bridge is, and, and it's and not too much further away is the quarry. Wow. Um, yeah, and that was a weird experience to me watching those films because uh, even though we're in London and it's a bit further away, there is this look to some of the neighborhoods which really made it feel reminiscent of like walking around the neighborhood with, with my brother when we were that age. It, it feels like it's... Uh, can, you, can you talk a little bit about that aspect of dwellings? Well, yeah, absolutely. I, I think, first of all, I think it was... Um, I think it was the recent version of it that made me also my um my godparents son did special effects on that film too so oh, I, wow. I do have a family connection um yeah warren appleby um and uh so i think it i think those films uh the muschietti version br really brought that home to me that i was like yeah, Southern Ontario, like locations around here are often used. There's like um, Guelph is often used as a film location for um, Canadian and American productions as a small uh, American town. Um, it brought home the idea that that like Stephen King's um, Castle Rock. That in fact, if you watch that uh, show too, the locations seem strangely Canadian to me. Uh, I, I feel like. Um, I, I've always taken it for granted, I think, that that um, location is everything. Um, I mean, if you live in a dusty town on the Texas border, your neighborhoods are completely different. Um, the types of if you live in a newer build, I mean, like Poltergeist is a fantastic film because it's about a brand new housing development. Right. It's a brand new suburb um, that that there are intrinsic um, like there are people that will read dwellings in the idea of this like uh, old factory that's now housing that don't have anything like that in their town. Right. Um, they're not either not old enough or they just didn't have those types of types of factories. Maybe they didn't even have a river running through their town. So they wouldn't have mills and they wouldn't have. Um, so, so I do think that 
Um, it not it's not necessarily horrific, but I do think that <clears throat> the types of streets, the way the streets work, the kind of um, layout of the town um, is very specific. It is very specific. And the fact that uh, Southern Ontario is so often used as a location for horror is, I think, because of that balance of the quaintness and the smallest, you know, it's this, it's horror always works when um, the stakes are high. When, if there's kids, it's always more terrifying, whether they're experiencing it or they're, they're being victimized or threatened by, by the other. Um, and I think the same is true for a quaint town. If the town seems innocent when something bad happens, it's worse. Um, and, and that's what I'm trying to do on every level of, of dwellings. The, the Harvey Comics look of the book does the same thing as the location does, is it's disarming because this shouldn't be as terrible as it is. Thank you. I'm... Oh, sorry. I was just going to, I was going to add on one little thing. Um, uh, thinking about dwellings too, for any, anybody who's listening in, there is an Easter egg in dwellings number two that uh, is kind of a fun little, little thing that you could do if you do something that you think that, you know, I don't know, like <laughs> apparently lots of people called that number from, from a uh, squid game. Mm-hmm. All right. So there yeah. might be something like that in dwellings. Yeah. So so far, nobody has um, mentioned Commented that to you, Michelle. It. Fantastic. Nope. I love yep. it. All right. So I'm putting it out there. David, it's Wheaton, not. So. It's not a million dollars. It's not a million dollars. We have a project still an Easter egg. We do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if somebody finds it, you can you can you know send a send a little email or tag us on social media and. Uh, Maybe you'll get the black eye books equivalent of a no prize. Excellent. <laughs> Jane, Michelle, thank you so much for joining us tonight. This was a really fun conversation and I'm so excited that the Kickstarter is going so well. Thank thanks you. so always, much. And always a pleasure. Yeah. And thanks again for your, for your, uh, your idea to do a hardcover because people are loving it. I'm, I'm so happy <laughs> to see that and that it wasn't it. I mean, it would have been a lot worse if uh, if I had been the only person who backed it, and then uh, it would be a very different conversation. Where uh, you made us promise this reward, and you're the only one who backed it. There may not have been a conversation if you were the only one that backed it. I, I would have made my mom buy buy one. It would have been two. Two. There you go. Well, as always, thanks you're, again, guys. You're welcome back anytime, and uh, we're we're excited to see how the. Um, how the uh, campaign wraps up. The rest of the Kickstarter goes, yeah. Thanks again. Thanks for all your support. All right. Thanks for joining us for Pair of Jokers, the official River Donkey Adventures podcast brought to you by Ellie Mood Comics and Games in London, Ontario. Keep up to date on all the latest news about our digital and print comic books, including Lucky Unlucky, by visiting riverdonkeyadventures.com. The website features free content like comic strips and illustrations and behind-the-scenes insight into our process. The best way to get in touch with us is Twitter. Tweet at LuckyUnlucky7 or contact Dan at ThatDSBarrick, David at David underscore Perks, or Scott at The Crooked Floor. Thanks again, and best of luck until next time.
Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode... Oh, we don't do episode numbers anymore, do we, David? No. (laughs) (laughs) 